Poison, poison, tasty fish. Concentrate, concentrate. I want to go! Welcome to episode 73 of Square Waves FM. Today, our topic is, I have absolutely no fucking idea because this is just our catch-up episode, which means we have absolutely no theme and we're going to talk about whatever we feel like. Mm, I'm your host, Bianca. With me is my little minion, my bootlick, etc., etc., and also co-host, Brian. Hi. Brian, we're going to have ants. Terrify me. <laughs> Hi. Hi, guys. Hope you're doing well. It's been a few weeks. Uh, I took another week off for vacation and because I spent my last vacation sick and I had some extra days to spend, so why not? And we spent part of that vacation celebrating our ninth anniversary. Yay! Married nine years to each other. Ugh, I'm Ugh. miserable already thinking about it. it feels like 17. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, if you consider the, the amount of time we dated, it I is... don't. <laughs> It is closer to 17. No, it's not. Well, actually, it would be like 13 years. There you go. It's closer to 17 than 9 is. I guess so. 9.000001 is closer to 17 than 9 is. Ow! What's your point? My Don't... point is I whack you with my handheld fan. Don't smack me with your handheld Mario fan. You remember where we got this fan? Yes, we... yes I do. We had some uh, points to spend with uh, Nintendo after we bought our Wii, and so this is one of the few things that we uh, got with those points. It's yeah, pretty awesome. We bought the Wii, we had a DS, we had a bunch of games, and you earned Nintendo Dingus points. I forget Yay, what they're called. Yay, Nintendo Dingus points. They canceled those points. They discontinued them, so we had oh. to spend a bunch of them. That's stupid. Why would they do that? I don't know. They have some other program now. Mm-hmm. Loyalty points of some sort. So this is, uh, this is a blue, uh, like, Asian-style... Fan and it has a bloop on it. Oh I yeah, think. bloop from Super Mario Brothers, the little jellyfish guy from Super Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers. It's got in the swimmy yeah, levels. It's a paper on top with a bamboo to hold it together. It's quite classy, actually. We've had it for a number of years, and it's actually in surprisingly good condition considering how much I play with it. Yeah, we should, we'll take a picture of it and stick it in the show notes. It's actually a beautiful, sturdy little thing. We got a few rewards. We also, from them. Ha- yeah, we got um, a figurine that has uh, Bowser, uh, Princess Peach, a Goomba. Um, Where'd it go? It's probably on one of our. Sh- uh, it's on the uh, bookshelf that I put next to the window, it, and it's got like a one and it came in a one-up block box that we still have as well. Oh yeah, there it is. It has Koopa, Princess Mario, Luigi, Yoshi. And a Goomba, and it has... What? I thought Bowser was on there, too. Did I, did I not say Bowser? Okay, I thought you said a Koopa. Oh. It has... Sorry, it's King Koopa, who is a Bowser. I mean, King Bowser, who is a Koopa. Very true. And it has a little green pipe and some brown blocks. And it's a little statue. It's totally awesome. And it it's... is awesome. Oh, and we also got something else that was very cool. We got... Were they Animal Crossing playing cards? Yes. And I don't think we've ever opened them. I don't think so. I'm sure they're... I'm, uh, what are, there's like the back of one card. Let me see if I can go find it. There's the back of one card. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
I mean, we haven't even opened our uh, Slurm Can cards yet. We have Futurama playing cards as well, and it came in a Slurm in a uh, big Slurm Can. Let's unbox our Animal Crossing cards a decade or so after getting them, shall we? <laughs> I don't know. When did the week come out? It can't be that, that long. Oh, yay. The Joker is Mr. Resetti, the uh, gopher who, or mole who comes out of the ground to yell at you if you stop your Animal Crossing game and reset without saving because, you know, you're an asshole and you've just lost your game. Oh, my gosh. These are amazing. Holy smoke. It has um, all the... Uh, NPC, uh, NPCs you see ever see in this game. Yeah, the neighbors. My goodness, that's a lot of them. Including a coffee pen, including coffee pigeon. I think the he's my good, favorite guy. The only pen, the only good pigeon in the world. Every other pigeon is a piece of fucking shit that can go crawl into a hole and die. Look at the Joker. <laughs> it's cute. What is it? Oh. <laughs> Yay! It's got my name on it. It's like a, it's a, it's a kitty cat in a red flowery dress that says Bianca. Oh, that's you. As if I'm a cat. I'm more like a some sort of a weasel-like creature. Yeah, you're some kind of filthy rodent. Well, I'd have to be a filthy rodent if I'm if I'm married to you. Uh, yes, you do. Of course. These playing you... cards are awesome. They are. They're really cool. We have all sorts of playing uh, themed playing cards like this. I have a few anime decks. I got like two or three anime decks. We got a Futurama deck. We also have Simpsons trivia cards and Family Guy trivia cards. And we never did get around to buying that card game that we enjoyed so much at the now closed board game we cafe near us. We thought about it, but we checked the price, and it was and it turned out to be too expensive for yeah, us. Yeah, card games are expensive. It was Gloom. Yes, although if we did, I know that when we look, when we looked in Hamilton, it was uh, cheaper than it was at Mind Games here in Toronto. I'm sure we can get it on Amazon for even cheaper, too. Of course. Uh, that was a cool game. Oh, I tricked you so badly in the second uh, round once I figured out what the hell I was doing. I'll go to the official website, and I'll stick this in the show notes. It was a really cute Oh, I game. love the co- the concept. It was like the inverse of what you would expect. The idea was... To, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, but for those of you who don't remember, the basic concept of this game is to keep your family as fucking miserable as possible. You want them to die... Utterly depressed, miserable, downtrodden, you know, give them the worst of the worst. You wanna and meanwhile you wanna make your opponent's family as fucking happy as a kitten shitting rainbows. That's happy. <laughs> oh, and it's not just that you want your family to be miserable, you want your family to die miserable. I said die miserable. Oh, I thought you said be miserable. Yeah, I said so you want them to be miserable and die miserable. Every your your family will die during this card game and there were like points and modifiers and stuff that make them more or less happy and you win the game whoever's family is the most miserable when they all die is the winner of the game (laughs) and they were really beautiful cards it had opaque and transparent cards and so uh, the opaque card is your family member and the transparent cards you lay on top of the opaque family member card and it has Modifiers. circles with numbers on it in different locations. And so as you place transparent cards on top of each other, it either adds circles or a circle will be on top of another one. So you can... Was it that you can put those things on your own or your opponent's? Yes, you would use the your happiness cards on your opponent and the I'm going to make my uh, person commit suicide card on your own. That's right. 
I think so. Yes, it no, was. I think you could kill the other player's characters too, because you want to kill them when they're happy. Yeah, exactly. You could kill yours or the other guys. The, ob the objective was just to uh, kill them at the right time. So, uh, if you could kill one of your opponent's characters with, with just at least with one point of happiness more than depression, that was good. As long as you can make them happy and kill them with one point of happiness, that was good. Mm -hmm. Wow, there's a lot of these. There's the the Gloom Second Edition, and there's four expansion packs. And they were like 40, 30 or forty dollars each, as I recall. They were, it's a pretty big card. The base game is was pretty large, as I recall, because it was for two to six or eight players or something like that. I'm sure it has enough content. You could play it like four or five times before you've seen all the cards. Exactly. There's still there's, the strategy behind it. Yeah, there's strategy behind it. There's different families. And, and it was recommended to us by the proprietor of the board game cafe because it was kind of noob friendly. Uh, we're yeah. not really card strategy, PvP, whatever players, competitive well, players. Yeah, but I know that uh, you, you struggled even into the second round. Meanwhile, I had figured out the second round, and I completely wiped the, the uh, floor with your uh, pathetic backside. What is here for? Although, it's not as mu although that wasn't as much fun as Kittens in a Blender. That was another good card game. Yeah, it wasn't that fun. It had personality, but I didn't like the game that much. True. Or at least I didn't really get it. You really uh, cleaned my clock in that game. <laughs> we've been to a few board game cafes now. Two, three? Two or three at least. So we've been to the one in Hamilton on two different occasions. We've oh, been... yeah. We went to, we've been to four, actually. We went to the one near us, Mind Games. Yeah, we went to Snakes and Ladders. We went to another one, I think, called Castle downtown. Yeah. And then we went to that one in Hamilton twice. So we've been to four different ones on five separate occasions. That's right. And the one in Hamilton, I, I did my favorite activity, which was that I had a uh, vanilla ice cream root beer float. Are you sure it was there and not at Snakes and Lattes? And, uh, I had something else yummy at Snakes and Lattes, but the one in Hamilton was the yummiest one. Very true. But yeah, Snakes and Lattes was, is Toronto's more well-known uh, board game cafe. Yeah, I would say so. It was one of the first ones that every, everyone was more aware of than the others. I mean, there are other ones that are just as good, but Snakes and Lattes, it, the name is just sticks out more than others. It's a, it's a good place, too. It was and they're all quite inexpensive, considering the facilities at your disposal. Yeah. Snakes and Lattes, you, all, you they you have a long wait to get in, though. If you don't go early. If, if you don't go early? Yeah, because yeah. you can stay as long as you want, as I recall. I don't think they... Oh, they, maybe they charge you by the hour, but it's, it's like $2.50 per person per hour. It's an incredibly economical way to spend time. Yeah. Consider the average price of a movie, and then think about how many hours you could get for that for the price of that one movie for yourself at a board game cafe. And that's, yeah. So basically, let's say, okay, so a movie would be... Um, Depends. Um, well, whatever. They, they, that's it. I know. Let's go with the VIP prices. They're about $15. So then we say that you sure. could get... We'll estimate that the uh, thing is about that you pay about three dollars an hour, so you get about five, at least five hours, if not more. Yeah, so it's very economical, and you can play as many games as you want, and they have hundreds of them. And the what staff, I like is that they have staff that will recommend things to you if you don't know what to do. Or and the staff often know these games inside out and backwards, and can explain them to you if you're having if you pick up a rule book and it's that uh, makes War and Peace look like a walk in the park. Yeah, Bianca and I would pull several games off the shelf one by one. And we'd get all ready to play, and we'd open up the rule book, and it'd be like 19 pages long. And until you take your first turn, there's like 20 minutes of reading, and it's very daunting. Yeah. That's the hard thing about renting a game, I suppose, like that. True, which is why we wind up playing a lot of uh, trivia games. I mean, we played World of Warcraft Trivial Pursuit. That was awesome. That was awesome. Boy, did you murder me in that game. 
You know your lore. <laughs> True. You I and Joe Mastriani should play that against each other. That'll be the Battle of the Titans. <laughs> yes, it would. And you could sit there, you know, being the token third person just to make the game a little more interesting. Okay. Although I did give you some pity points in that game. Yeah, Benny Pity Poe. <laughs> I'm the peon in that game. You. Stop poking me. <laughs> um... And we played Simpsons Game of Life, and we played... Oh, yeah, we have... Actually, we own that board game. Oh, so, wait. Is that what we played there? No, we played Simpsons Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, Wheel of Fortune, yes. That was fun. And I think, yeah, we, yeah, we played Simpsons Wheel of Fortune. That was interesting. We had it set up so that way uh, one of us was in charge of flipping the uh, board and the, and the other person rolled. Yeah. I don't remember too much about it, except for the board setup, which had, like, a big stand-up plastic board with these insert sheets. It had many dozens of them, which uh, equal many different puzzles. It was quite clever, and it had little panels for each of the letters. So you would roll, you would spin the wheel or whatever and guess a letter, and it would tell you uh, which panels to open. And it did it in such a way that the person flipping over the panels doesn't know the word. It just tells you which panels to flip if you guess this letter, so it's a secret from everybody, which is very smart. Mm-hmm. It was well thought out. So I guess we've got off on a bit of a tangent, but why don't we talk about what we did last week during your vacation? Because we did some interesting stuff, especially on our anniversary. Yeah. Yes, well, we did. Okay. You want to start? Sure. Brian had uh, found something online and decided to... Uh, he didn't book it outright for us, but decided that uh, it looked like something we should do. And it was a sushi-making class. Mm-hmm. So I thought I agreed with him that would be really fun to do. Long story short, we went, and it turns out that he is actually dexterous enough to make a roll of sushi. I'm going to put in the show notes here the link to the class that we took, and I'll also link some pictures of the rolls that we created. It was for uh, Makimono rolls. Yeah, I thought it was Hosumaku, Hosumaku, Hosumaki, which is the basic one where the uh, seaweed is wraps around the outside, the rice and, this, and the uh, vegetable and or fish are on the inside. And then there's the uh, urumaki, which is the more which is, which is better known as California roll, mm-hmm. where the rice is on the outside. Then we also had gunken, which looks like the um, the, the traditional sushi. Oh yeah, makimonos. I think makimonos is the umbrella term. Yeah. And then there were some specific varieties. We made four. Yeah, we made four of them. Or One, five. Four. We didn't get around to the fifth. We made a hand roll, which was an interesting one. That was apparently that one's a little trickier to make, as you can either do it right or do it wrong. There's no in between. Yeah, the hand roll one that's like the the conical, the cone shaped. Yeah. Kind. Uh, that was quite tricky. Was we tricky. did okay. They were ours were like a little underfilled, so they're a little bit mushy and blueby. Uh, yours was underfilled. Mine was okay because I managed to roll it tightly, which made it not. Because even though I didn't have a lot of filling, uh, because I rolled it tight, it came. It, it made it had it was firm. Of course, with these classes, there are people there, and we, for some reason, wound up next to, uh, to, I don't know. To Matthew McConaughey and, uh, and, and Barbie or something. And, uh, bring this to Zilla. Oh my gosh. They, we were next to a couple of airheads, which was amusing to listen to. Oh, my favorite thing that they did, though, because they always had these smarmy little con- comments, and they would get into a little bit of a conversation while the chef was giving descriptions, and then they would execute the thing incorrectly, which was amusing enough. But my very favorite thing, of course, was... Slicing the bowl and having yeah. the water go everywhere, because they gave us styrofoam bowls to... Be Let's to- get there. Let's get there. <laughs> so, um, when you're making sushi, you have to use certain kinds of sushi rice, 
which are uh, sticky rice. When prepared, and because they're super they're starchy and glutinous, and uh, they um, uh, there our uh, our teacher, this, this uh, quite accomplished restaurateur chef who started the class with something like an hour and 15 minutes of just like lectures and history and slideshows and stuff, which oh, is fascinating. Oh, he's so fascinating to listen to. He's an excellent storyteller. It's a good thing that we ate a big lunch because we would have been starving by the time we started uh, rolling oh, our sushi at like 8.30. I mean, you meow for your dinner at like 4.30 most days, so that for I you know. to make it that long, we, mu- we must have had a good size lunch. Oh, that's because of what we did earlier in the day, but we'll, do, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, he taught us that the best uh, sushi-grade uh, rice that is preferred by su- by sushi chefs all over the world, including Japan, is actually grown in Sacramento, California, something having to do with the climate and the soil. Yeah. So um, this rice, the way that you handle it is when you're uh, when you're putting it onto your uh, onto your nori, the seaweed, on the sushi mat, you pick up a little bit of like a little bundle of rice in your hand, and you put it down onto the nori. And you don't want to squish it too much, and you don't want to overfill it, and you don't want to underfill it. It should be just right. He said it was like two grains of rice tall, approximately, is what you're shooting and for. And it should not, and it doesn't necessarily have to be flat. It should have like little peaks and plateaus, so it should look kind of bumpy. Yeah, and that gives it room to, to squish into place when you roll it, but it shouldn't be matted down too much or anything like that. So this rice, because it's so starchy, really sticks to your fingers. It ver- it really adheres to your skin. So once you've handled, handled it a little bit, it's very hard to work with it. Like, once you've touched it at all, it's really hard to work with it because it gets very sticky and, and gloopy and stuff. So... The only way to get it off of your hands effectively is just to dip your hands in water. You use a little bit of water and then you kind of clap your hands a bit and then it comes right off your hands. So we had these little styrofoam bowls full of water and uh, Barbie and Dingus next to us. Um, Barbie and Ken. <laughs> sure, we'll call them Barbie and Ken. They dip their knife because uh, when you cut your, you make one big long like cylinder and then you use a knife to slice it into little uh, bite-sized bits. So you're supposed to dip your knife into the uh, water before and after you cut it to get the rice off of the knife so that it can cut uh, properly. So Barbie uh, puts her knife into the water very vigorously, slicing the bottom of uh, of her bowl. And I don't know how exactly she managed to spill most of the water, but not all of it, considering she sliced a hole in the bottom of the bowl. I figured it would be an all or nothing thing. But somehow the remainder of that pathetic, uh, that pathetic like ghosty, starchy water, <laughs> I, there was like eight. There's like like twenty five percent of it left or something well, in the I bowl. Think it must have been that rice that was already glooped in there that must have formed a little clot on the hole. It must you. have been. So that was very amusing. Anyway, they, they got wife, they got water all over their station, and they had to dip their fingers in this increasingly cloudy, yucky, ricey glop. I mean, our, our water was pretty goopy to begin with, but... Well, not to begin with. I, I know, our, I'm just saying our water got pretty goopy, but it was nowhere near as bad as that. So by begin with, you mean end with? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picking on you. Yeah. Man. Don't make me whack you with my fan. Don't do that. Oh, these people... Wound up, a girl wound up giving up at the uh, end. She yeah, that's right. She got like two and a half rolls or something into our four rolls before <laughs> getting flustered and giving up. But you and I did surprisingly well. Yeah, you more so than me. I was surprised. I didn't know what you... I kind of thought that you would struggle a bit. I know you did struggle, but in the end you got something out. I signed up for this thing with the idea in my mind that me, who was all thumbs, would fail miserably. But I, it was mostly for you because I know you enjoy that stuff. And I, I like... 
I like the idea of cooking. I'm not very good at cooking, but I like the idea of cooking anyway. I like learning about it and stuff like that. So I figured I'd learn something and I'd embarrass myself and we'd be done. <laughs> but you and I really kick butt. Our our chef, he's a, a Korean guy. He was a really interesting guy. He had an extremely dry sense of humor and he was critical. So not to say that he was mean or anything, although maybe he was a little bit. But he was very truthful. He didn't hold back honest. his criticism. I wouldn't say it was honest criticism, which means, yeah. which I which I take to mean that he, there was no malice intended. It was, if you didn't do something right, he told you in very clear terms that you didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly a perfectly valid way of giving criticism. If you rolled it like a jackass and he told you you rolled it like a jackass, you deserve to be told you rolled it like a jackass. I guess so. I mean... Ideally, you're there to learn, because if you do something wrong, he's going to tell you what you did wrong, and you learn from it. Yeah. Although, I did get told one of my roles was cute. Yes, you did. I got high praise. Yes, you did. That, that is high praise, actually. And so, and yeah, me too. He, he didn't say anything I made was cute, but he, he never said anything worse than good. <laughs> Quote, unquote, good. So that felt really good. So we, were, we, we bought a uh, kit from him when all was said and done. We were stuffed to the gills by the time we were finished. Everything we made was delicious. Mm-hmm. His sushi rice was delicious. He... What do you season it with? Not mirin. It's with, um... Some, it's a sushi. It's like a vinegar, a rice oh, vinegar. Oh, it's rice vinegar and some kind of a combination of things. Right. So he gave it... He, we used that, and he made this amazing blend of soy sauce, which was... I don't know what he did. It was the best tasting soy sauce I ever had. I smelled it like 14 times <laughs> before we made anything because it smelled so good. I must. It probably is probably because they uh, he used fresh ingredients and didn't use a lot of salt. Because I didn't taste as salty as I find Western variations do, or at least the mm. the ones designed for the Western palate tend to. Interesting. Might be a preservative on the fish or something. Who knows? Yeah, it might be more of a brine flavor because it didn't taste as salty as I expected soy sauce too, which is which which amazed me. Well, the rice he picked was amazing. The fish seemed average. But it tasted amazing, because he truthfully told us that the most important part of making sushi is the rice. That's one thing I noticed even before this class, was I couldn't... There were certain restaurants where I would get it, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of average sushi. But I would have the exact same dish at another restaurant, and it would be, okay, this is amazing. And it all comes down to the rice. Because you can... Because I imagine that, you know, you're in a... You, you go to a couple of sushi restaurants in the same area. They probably have the same supplier... Since he'll deliver to an area, and it's like if they have two restaurants there, hey, even better. Mm-hmm. And so they they will likely have food. They likely have their fish and vegetables from the same uh, delivery person. Maybe. But it comes down to the rice preparation. Yeah, yeah. He he was. Uh, I I agreed with him completely that the rice was very important because he had phenomenally delicious rice, and he seasoned it. He overseasoned it a little. He told us that he overseasoned it just so that uh, the subtlety wouldn't be lost on the class. So when you and I practice this tomorrow, let's do it tomorrow, yeah? Yep. We'll, After we uh, get that, I want to get cucumber and uh, salmon. Okay. We could also get the crab thing. That was neat. He taught us how fake crab is made. Because often sushi has, like, imitation crab. That's usually the American one. That's the California one, the uramaki. Oh, right. Well, and but it's, not as popu- it's not as prominent in Japan. It's more of a uh, American-style role. Right. Canada, too. It's very popular. Yeah. That's what I mean by American. Sure. Oh. Okay. Because its, it's, its origins are American. Yeah, that they are. So, uh, yeah, and the, 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 it is very American. He told us the Japanese style... I don't remember the names of these things now. The Japanese style has the uh, seaweed, the nori on the outside of the roll. Thank you. Whereas uh, the American uh, sushi has rice on the outside of the roll. Urimaki. All right, and what, we, what he 
what we demonstrated to ourselves, and he confirmed verbally, was that the Japanese ones with the nori on the outside are smaller, they don't hold as much, but they hold their shape and their form even after you've chewed it a few times, which keeps the sushi in the right part of your mouth so that you can taste it the best. Mm -hmm. Whereas the American ones, because the rice is on the outside, means that they can hold much more stuff. Um, Americans like like larger portions. So um, uh, those ones, when you chew them after two or three bites... Everything kind of gets lost. Well, it, it, uh, it expands and it loses its form and it fills your mouth instead of staying in the middle of your mouth, which is the intention. Because a lot of Japanese food, because they eat them with the chopsticks. I always forget the Japanese word for chopsticks. Yashi, I think. Hashi. Hashi. Um, the, it, it's intended to be little bite-sized morsels of food, and it the chef prepares that. it in such a way that it's like it's intentional, exactly what they're serving you. And there, there, there's many different reasons why they why they serve it to you in the shape that they do. The other thing is, he said that it was perfectly acceptable to use your hand to eat it. it. Like it wasn't like they don't even use chopsticks. Yeah, that's right. They said sushi is intended as finger food, so it's not rude to use your fingers. If you go to the fanciest sushi restaurants in the world. They often give you no, no utensils, or it's optional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, we purchased a, uh, a kit from the guy, which was like some sushi mats, some of the sushi rice that he used in the class, some seasoning things, this wasabi that he used, which was like super intense, blow your head off, extremely concentrated. It makes your average jalapeno look like a glass of water. Pretty much. It was very, very intensely spicy. And some other stuff was in there too. I don't know. His blended soy sauce and oh, ginger. Oh, ginger, that's right. So we're going to try to do it right. We'll give it a try and we'll let you guys know how it goes. I want to roll some too though, yeah? You and I will both try? Of course. Because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm embiggened by the situation. I did well in the class and I'm feeling empowered. Mm-hmm. So I need to, I need to cause a disaster at home before I put, I'm put back in my place. Mm-hmm. He has subsequent classes though. About uh, oh yeah, nigiri and sashimi. Uh, nigiri is uh, when you have like a little pillow of rice and you lay a piece of fish on top of it. That's my favorite kind. And sometimes you have um, a little strip of seaweed around it to hold it in place. Usually yeah, for something it. when you have uh, tamago, which is egg, but the egg doesn't taste like you would expect. Usually it's like a little sweet, which mm-hmm. makes it uh, unique. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. And then sashimi, which is just rice. So the the, the chef gave us all the fish and uh, other ingredients prepared and ready to go, and we just had to assemble the rolls, whereas it sounds like in the second class uh, we will learn how to fillet it ourselves. It says here, using real sushi knives, etc., etc. So hey, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be neat. Mm. Uh, food. Oh yeah, so the reason why we weren't hungry... Until uh, until we uh, had heard a big lecture and had rolled stuff and things like that. We went that. for quote unquote afternoon high tea, which wound up actually being oh, we should we say morning tea because we went early in the day. Yes, we did. Yeah, we went to a place called Tea Buds, and we which did this for our anniversary. Makes me think, you know, it should have been sounds like the name of a cannabis store. Yeah, it does. We was it was last year. We we had high tea. Me for my first time. For, uh, for our anniversary last year, and this really fancy, dessert charming, trends. yeah, dessert trends is the name of the place. It was a charming little 
uh, a tea house with this gorgeous lush green garden and the guy making the the pastries and sandwiches and stuff was like this world-renowned award-winning pastry chef who had prepared things for the prime minister and the queen and stuff like that that's pretty damn cool and i thought it was exceptionally good this one i thought was good it was very good it was a lot cheaper it was a lot cheaper it was it was cheaper anyway it was it was at least 20 or 30 percent cheaper yes it was yummy and we had amazing tea i don't remember what i had it Anymore. Yeah, I had a black tea. You had a floral tea, which is not your. Uh, no, it wasn't floral. I asked for not floral because I said I don't like floral. The guy gave a good suggestion. It was a fruity one. Oh, okay, had, I, um, I, knew, I was trying to remember whether it was fruity or floral that you didn't like. Yeah, I like fruit teas. I don't like floral teas, and I like leafy teas. Just yeah. I don't like the English teas really. I prefer Indian and uh, Asian, and I don't know where fruity teas yeah, are. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the fruity teas. I like the floral and the easterns. Mm-hmm. So my, I asked the guy, okay, I want a lot of cat. Bean, what do you recommend? <laughs> yeah, and he didn't hesitate to say black tea. And you were happy with yours. Yours was delicious, actually. We both tried each other's teas. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. That was a really fun day. So we got filled up. Uh, for those who don't know afternoon tea, I wouldn't blame you because I didn't know until last year when I tried it for the first time. They give you this, like, three-tiered uh, tray sort of a thing. So it's like three platters. The bottom is the biggest, middle is medium size, and the top one is the smallest. And on the bottom, they give you a bunch of little finger sandwiches. Was it like six sandwiches each? Um, about four or six each, depending on the size of the uh, serving you get. I think we got six, and they were awesome. They had like this traditional like uh, cucumber watercress sandwich. That we had a little curry, Indian curry sandwich. We had like an egg sandwich in a little mini croissant. Mm-hmm. It was very yummy. Yeah, and there was it's, chicken. It's fun getting a variety of things like that. But yeah. It was a chicken one. Mm-hmm. Um, the here was scones, and you had a choice, of, and it came with jam and mascarpone. Glops. Yummy glops for spreading on your scones. Yeah. And even though the scones, I think this, they said they were raisin scones, neither of us like raisins. There's like, I have no problem There's like raisins. one raisin between the two scones. It was perfect for me. <laughs> and the spreads made it so good. And on the very top, they had little petit four, which is like uh, very small desserts. It was in a Nymo bar, something covered in chocolate, which I imagine was a brownie and two macaroons. One was birthday cake, one was mint chocolate. They were so pretty, too. Let's uh, include pictures of all this stuff too. Of course. Because, like a couple of uh, a couple of uh, uncouth heathens, we love taking photographs of our food. Mm-hmm. Afternoon anniversary afternoon tea photos. Lucky you guys, you get to see what your podcast hosts eat. Yep. And then be jealous because our food's so friggin' delicious. It was friggin' delicious, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So that was a great anniversary. I that was like the that was like that might have been the best day of my whole life. That was such a nice day. True, but we had that was anniversary day part two because what about because we earlier that week we had gotten a gift certificate from your parents for the keg. Oh yeah, that's right. That was very generous of them. Yeah. Very generous. And before we went to the keg, let's let's uh, bring it back to earth and keep talking about the stuff that our podcast is supposed to be about, shall we? Games. Games. We went to a room escape uh, place. Called Trapped. It's called Trapped. They had three locations in Canada. Mm-hmm. One in Toronto, one in Vancouver, and one, where was it, Alberta? Probably either Alberta or Burlington, Ontario, you know. For some reason, they... Burlington, Oakville, they always seem to be like those one or two random locations that makes no sense but get these chain stores anyway. <laughs> well, it's not like they're in the middle of nowhere, but... They are, because there's no TTC that goes there. They just... They're like they're like in Civilization, the Forbidden Palace, that like makes a, 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 
it's not your capital city, but it like extends the bonuses of your capital city. So like those places are just far enough out of Toronto that they have to kind of rebuild things somewhere so that you don't have to drive all the way to Toronto if you live out there. <laughs> that was a very nerdy way. You say you're in Toronto, but you're not really. That's it's one of those places. There you go. Or you could say you weren't in Toronto because a lot of people are proud to say that too. Anyway, room escape. Um, we researched this place. I'll make sure to put this in the show notes too. Um, Essentially, there are several rooms that you can go into, and depending on the size of your party, you, because there are only two of us, we had only access to a couple of them for the time being, just because of the, uh, the, the scope of the puzzle to solve. Yeah, so they have a whole bunch of different scenarios that you can choose from. I think there are five or six different scenarios you can choose from. Um, some of them were like four to eight players, and the ones that we did were two to six players. And I suppose there's really no benefit to doing it with fewer people. If you have more people to bring, then your chances of success will probably increase. Well, they told us not the... necessarily, because you also have to get along with those people. Yeah, you need coordination and all that kind of stuff. I know where you're getting at, and we're not going to say that part. Of course. <laughs> um, I'm going to leave that to be impl- inferred. <laughs> sure. So, um, we uh, chose one of the two scenarios that was appropriate for as few as two people. There was Death Note... Mm-hmm. Which we did not choose. That was um, I don't know. Familiar being familiar with the anime. That was like you write down someone's. Oh, good. Our, our rice maker is playing the doodle song. <laughs> no wonder it smells so nice in here. Anyway, um, Death Note. Being familiar with the anime, isn't that where you like write someone's name in the Death Note book and then they die somehow? Well, you have to uh, envision the person. Write a very specific name down. Write down the time and the date and the means of how they die. And in order to do it, you have had to have seen their face. So. If you've seen a criminal on TV, you have to have seen the person's face through. You can't just write down anybody's name. Like, there's very specific conditions in order for Death Note to be triggered. Okay. So, I, I, I think we're both under the assumption that that is more or less the theme of that escape room. But that's not the one that we chose. We chose Contaminated Hospital. So, the premise was that we were, like, wandering in the woods needing refuge. We are completely lost, and we found this big abandoned hospital. So, we went into the hospital... And it was, like, all decrepit and filthy and stuff. Because and so, it's abandoned. Because it's abandoned. And we managed to get ourselves locked in a room with a corpse. Because yeah, of course, because it's a, it's a scary, filthy, unsanitary biohazard of a place. So what are you going to do? You're just going to walk further and further in until the door locks behind you. So, like, we paid the Logic. fee. We, we paid the fee. We got our instructions. We got blindfolded. Uh, Bianca held the hand of the, of the dude. And I had to put my hands on Bianca's shoulders. And we were led blindfolded into this room where he said, okay, you can take your blindfolds off as soon as you hear the music start. So music starts, we both take off our blindfolds, and we are in this, like, uh, sterile little room. Well, not so sterile considering the big blood splatters everywhere. Yeah, I guess so. But it was like an examination hospital room, sort of, which had this, like, steel examination table in the middle of it and, like, a mannequin with his dead body, who was a dead body, and there was a filing cabinet, a couple of filing cabinets in the room. Yeah, one that could be opened, all, all the doors could be open, and one with a combination lock. Yeah. How many, yeah, combination lock. Yeah. Naturally, Let's... being a fan of finding the uh, of hidden object games, or, or as I call them, find the shit, my first instinct is to uh, start opening everything and thinking about what, what, I can, what I need to unlock this, because I know that the thing I need is obviously locked inside of something. Because of all the uh, more modern... Finally, uh, hidden object scene games. Usually, what happens is you get 
not everything is on screen. You have to open stuff to find what you need. So I start. So my first instinct is to open up everything there. Yeah, this whole concept was quite inspired by various kinds of video games, especially like those. Um, it's like a, it's like a low budget adventure game, point and click adventure game puzzle sort of a thing, or it's like uh, one of the low pu- low budget casual uh, <laughs> games where you have to like find hidden objects and you have to combine objects and stuff like that. I don't know what do you even call that genre? Find the shit. <laughs> find the shit game, sure. So we, for the most part, we decided to kind of divide and conquer. So let's. Do you want to go into detail? There's a whole bunch of these room escape places in Toronto alone. I don't think this is a chain anywhere else. I don't think it'll be a significant spoiler of anything if we talk about what we did. I think yeah. our audience will be interested. Yeah. So first thing we do is we open up all the drawers, reveal, and uh, know that we're what we are looking for is a combination lock. Mm-hmm. And well, for, very first thing we did was take a good look around the room. Mm-hmm. So. We like looked behind the filing cabinets and stuff. We looked under the table. Um, we moved stuff around. Like we lifted up the filing cabinets. I lifted up the filing cabinets because, hey, my if I'm in there, I'm looking under everything I can touch. Yeah, although they told us you don't you don't need to use force for anything. Be gentle with the props. Yeah, like you know? that's why I said I, I could tip yeah. the filing cabinets because they were small. So I'm like, okay, I'm they not were. using force. They were easy to carry that stuff. So um, then you looked more into the filing cabinets and I examined the body, and so. You found in the filing cabinets a bunch of uh, files, a bunch of pieces of paper that were like patient records with various bits of information, and it identified uh, several people by name and gave different information about them. And so we figured, okay, we have to identify who this body is, and then that will help us to get hints. Yeah, it's like... But the one thing that threw me off was the fact that there was no hair on this thing, so we couldn't... And all the files had information about the hair color. I'm like, hmm, I can't see a hair color. So we had to look carefully at everything. That's right. So I was examining the body while you looked at more of the information on there, and I went through the pockets, and I even took off the shoes, and I uh, flipped it around and stuff like that. Oh, I gotta squish a bug. Screw you, bug. As Lisa says, when I lose something, it usually winds up in my shoes, referencing the uh, episode where she uh, discovers Jebediah to be uh, Hans Sprungbeld. Thank you for that. (laughs) So... um, I uh, picked up the I picked up the body and I flipped it over and on the back of the body's neck was a code. It was like U-130 mm-hmm. or 310, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a three-digit number. Yeah, so that corresponded with the identification number on one of the files and so we had identified the body and we read a little bit about it. Um, do you remember how we got the combination to the safe or did we not get that till later we eventually we had and then we started turning off the light to look for stuff thinking you know there's got to be something hidden if it's not in plain sight you know turn off the light look for glowing stuff yeah that's right there was a light switch and there was a door and the door had a keypad on it so there were two combinations we thought we needed one was for the keypad for the door and one was to open the, the locked cabinet in one of the two filing cabinets Oh, and we had flashlights, right? Yeah, so that's so we were a lot, so that made it easier to turn off the light to look for stuff. Yes, and that felt very video gamey too. The props made it really fun, even though the puzzles were kind of so-so, as you'll hear. The the props and the participation and stuff like that that made it really engaging. Yeah, the hands-on stuff. Yeah. So, how did we get that combination in the end? We also had a walkie-talkie. We could request two hints. Yeah. Well, our hint was ultimately to look at, the, at one of the patient files and uh, read carefully about his allergies 
to uh, both natural and artificial light. And so when we turned the light back off, we actually held up this patient's uh, paid the, uh, paid the uh, piece of paper with this patient's information, and there is information written in invisible ink that showed up as a, as a glow. When the when the light was off, and that was ultimately the combination to the to the uh, filing cabinet. Yeah, that's right. And then opening up that, that combination gave us the doctor's uh, pass card that allowed us to leave the room and go into the next room. Yeah, that's right. So that was another. That was a little red herring there. That uh, this pass card that we got, it was like a credit card shaped white card. Um, you actually had to hold it up to the uh, combination. No, the, the, yeah, you just tapped it to the. Combination. Yeah, you tap it on the ca- combination. Uh, on the combination keypad on the door, and that unlocked it, so it didn't actually need a code. So that but was kind we of needed a the code hammer. to open the, uh, the filing cabinet. Yes, yes, we did. Mm-hmm. The next room had had a computer, some filing cabinets, some drawers upturned, various chemical like uh, uh, bottles of pill chemicals. Bottles? Not bo- pill bottles, but bottles of chemicals because it looked like they were combining stuff. Oh right, for create. powders and yeah, they're like chemistry bottles. Mm-hmm. With all their uh, unique, with their uh, yeah. dif- different... Um, oh, the periodic... Yeah. Uh, their anatomical weights. Because uh, isn't weights. hydrogen like one or two? Hydrogen is one. Okay, so they had like those numbers on there representing their anatomical yeah, weight. Yeah, atomic weight. Yeah. Um, I don't remember whether they were the right numbers or not. Well, but they, they, they were... They had a purpose. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so there was a community. Yeah, we opened the door, went into this other room, and it was in disarray with a shelf upturned and on the floor. There was a computer in the room that didn't work. There was another keypad. Uh, the ro- the room was dark. What else was there? There was there, there was were another books, drawer. One of which was a fake book, and ultimately had a uh, broken flashlight. And it turns out that in order to make it work, one of us had to disable our current flashlight and make a new and it. Uh, allowed this flashlight to work, which would actually had a black light in it, and allowed us to uh, look at the hidden uh, messages. That's right. We didn't get that. That was our other hint. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was. But I did so, find the uh, flashlight, and I didn't... Yeah, I, you, yeah you did. Uh, we, we forgot to mention, by the way, you have a one-hour time limit to solve this thing. So, like, the music stops when, when uh, the hour is up. And there was something like a 4% success rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're telling you all these details... Um, the uh, I found that the puzzles themselves did not really have a damn thing to do with the story that we were told. Like we're in this abandoned hospital, and if you don't escape in an hour, then you get the disease that killed everyone in the hospital. Whatever. So that was a little bit disappointing. But like I said, it was the props themselves and the being in there and working together as a team. And the problem solving, like the puzzles themselves were stupid, but solving them together to get to reach the end was the fun part. Problem solving is even a strong word for it. It felt kind of random to me. There's better ways oh, to have designed on. this like stuff. Like your average adventure game from the '80s wasn't a bunch of random shit that went together. I mean, no, they were they were more sensible. Cat mustache and Gabriel Knight. That was number one. That was '90s. Number two, that was the rare worst ever. So you can't really hold that up as the average. I'm not holding it up. I'm holding it up as an example. It's an example of the worst. This was better than the worst, but it was not as good as the average. Is my point. The the puzzles that you solved didn't feel very rewarding. It was like you you tried a bunch of random shit. Like, for example, one thing that... Well, I mean, what does it have to do with it being in a hospital? Like Bianca said, we each had a little flashlight, and we found a third flashlight um, in the second room, and it didn't work. And we didn't really think anything of it, but when we called in for a hint, they told us it was significant. So, 
We tried taking the battery out of a flashlight and putting it in the other flashlight, and not only did it work, but it was actually a, uh, like a blacklight bulb in it. So we examined everything, and we found a few hints having to do with the blacklight bulb. So, I mean, what, how, why would a hospital have a, a flashlight with a blacklight bulb in it? Is there a reason for that? I don't know. Well, there were shady experiments being done in this place, so I mean... Yes. I mean, I think you can use a black light to look for uh, biological stains and stuff on things. But yeah. not really in a hospital. I don't know. I mean, what if somebody had written a message in blood and then it got wiped away with time? You know, luminol would have uh, made that appear, for example. Yeah, that's something similar. So, um... <laughs> so what else? Right, so we were in this room with a, with a non-working computer. We looked around a little bit. We used our flashlights. We traced the cable and stuff, and we saw that the cable was unplugged, and it was next to a plug. So we plugged it in, and the computer boots up, and there's a few folders, and uh, there, there were a whole bunch of uh, files that were uh, zipped with 7-zip. Good for them for using free open-source software. And the uh, archives were password-protected. So we knew that we had to type in some kind of a password to view things. Yeah, and so looking around the room, we checked the doctor's jacket where I found half a piece of paper. We found other stuff by looking at the card that we had used to get out of the previous room. And, of course, we found another locked filing cabinet because reasons. That's right. Oh, and there, yeah, so there was a there was a shelf and there was another shelf. There was a shelf that was inside of, like, a cabinet and there was another shelf just like it that was overturned on the floor. And we examined it and there was nothing in... There's nothing important in either of them, as I recall. Oh, there was, there was a bunch of empty bottles or something, but they, they, they didn't they have anything to do with anything. And on the bottom of the shelf was a written, like, scrawled the letter A, and on top on the bottom of the other shelf was the letter B, and that ended up not having anything to do with anything. Yeah. It were, there were a lot of red herrings. There were uh, four books, like four um, nonfiction books on this yeah. desk. And one... We thought those were significant, and they weren't. Yeah, and one fake book, which had the uh, flashlight, as I said. Oh, is that where the flashlight was? Yeah. Okay. So that's why I... I and there was another combination lock, and it was a letter combination lock, so we were looking at the books and the authors and, the, and all this stuff. And the combination lock for that turned out to be, you know, written on the uh, doctor's pass card in some sort of, you know, biological matter that only showed up when we put the black light over it. It wasn't even biological, it was just some pen. So that didn't make sense that the password for a computer thing would be, like, you have to shine a black light on your key card, your, your security key card. I don't know. It was it, it really evoked that feeling of being stuck in an adventure game, and so you take every two, you take every uh, inventory item you have, and you use everything on everything until you something works. That's kind of how it felt. But when you're in the real world instead of in the in a computer game with a limited inventory, it's a lot more daunting. So they were puzzles. I probably would have enjoyed it more if there was no story that they told us. I mean, I know that the story they tell you is, it's a selling thing, and that's really the end of it. Mm -hmm. The puzzles that we solved really didn't culminate into something satisfying in terms of True. solving a mystery. If they at least told us what, you know, they could have, we didn't really need the whole laboratory while we were there. It could have been, they could have just said, okay, you've woken up in this hospital after you're coming out of a cryogenic tube, and it's all this, and now you have to get out of there. Yeah, it would have been better if we were patients instead of we had wandered in. I don't know. Yeah. There's a great opportunity for a real game designer to do something exceptional here. There's someone I follow on Twitter. Her name is Liz England, mm -hmm. who is a fan of these room escape things all of a sudden, having just tried a couple of them. And she's a really cool game designer. She was one of the designers of uh, Scribble Knots. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, and yeah, she was a designer, a gameplay designer. So um, I, I like her work a lot, and I like following her on Twitter. She's really intelligent and very interesting. Someone like that, a professional game designer, could do amazing things in a scenario like this. But this felt kind of amateurish. Still, I had a great time. It was fun collaborating with you, as always. I loved playing co-op games with you, and this was a new kind of co-op game for us mm -hmm. to play together. Yeah, that was the uh, more than anything. It was the playing together and trying to solve it together. That was fun, not the game itself. Yeah. So that was really cool. So I'm glad that we did it. We finished that. We were hungry. We ate some steaks. <laughs> we went home. It was good. Yep. We had. We each had. What did we have? Like an eight, eight ounce steak. You want to talk about our dinners? <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, we had we went to the keg. It's 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 one of those chain restaurants where you think, okay, I'm not gonna have a, it's gonna be an average so 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 experience. I'm not expecting anything. You go in and you look at the menu. You go, okay, this is a little pricey. Is it a Canadian only chain? Possibly. I think it is Canadian only. It's a steakhouse. Mm -hmm. It's a steakhouse chain. It's, it's very good. That it's 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 a chain, but it's not. It doesn't have that cheap chain quality to it. It's no, it's above average. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, yeah, whatever. We had a yummy dinner. I don't want to talk about my steak dinner. Okay. <laughs> it was steak and it was dinner. <laughs> Although we did have creme brulee, brulee afterwards and those amazing cappuccinos where, like, the foam was almost, like, whipped, <laughs> like, whipped cream because they uh, frothed it yeah, so they nice. Yeah, they had a nice, they had a nice, uh, steamer. Mm. They had a really nice frother. Yeah. Let's see. So let's move on to some other games. Oh, yeah. We've mentioned... Many, 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 many times that we have played Adventure Capitalist. Uh-huh. And... We're going to mention it fewer from now on, aren't we? Yeah, because it turns out we finished the game. We finished it. We it took... How long? At least a year and a half or so. I don't know. Let's see. How many hours did I put in? Oh, this is going to be scary. And I mean, putting in hours in Adventure Capitalist is kind of a strange term. Because it's a game that you kind of leave idling for a while. Sometimes you interact with it. Sometimes you don't. Wow, how'd you do that? I have 233 hours of mine. You have... 472. You probably left it minimized by accident. You're, you're the kind of person, bafflingly, who will leave this CPU-intensive game. This game is like pure... It's, this game is like... You take your CPU, you stick in a straw, and you suck on it. That's how that's how <laughs> CPU intensive this game is. You'll like load it up, minimize it, and start playing some other 3D rendered game. So, uh, it's the kind of game you can kind of forget about. Although you do progress while it's while it's not running. So, I don't know if you can see when the first time you played it is, but I, I love this game. I love this game. It's super simple. It's a sort of game where you're always progressing. There's, like, no wasted movements, really, except for these events, which are time-limited, yeah. where you have to get a certain amount of stuff by before the deadline. Then there's wasted... Then you can waste your, your precious time doing something that is less than uh, optimal. Pardon me, I am so sorry about that. That is gross. Nicely done. Thanks. So, uh, the main game, though, like, take your time. Take as much time as you want. There are microtransactions, if you want, that will speed things up a little bit. We, we, because we enjoyed the game so much on our first or second day of playing it, we threw them two bucks or something mm -hmm. each. Um, but didn't spend any money after that. It's the kind of game where the more you play it, the more of the in-game currency you earn. Uh, well, not, not when we first started. Not initially, that's true. But they've, they've capitulated a bit and made it a little bit more accessible that way. Which makes sense. And that way, if when you've been playing it... Regularly, you actually do get some, you get some sort of uh, in-game reward, which which really makes the game more tolerable. Otherwise, it's just numbers. Mm -hmm. 
So, isn't there a way for you to see what achievements you have on your account? Oh, perfect yeah. games. I have four perfect games where I've where I've gotten 100% of the achievements. This is one of them as of this week. So I have 19 perfect games. Wow, yeah, you're you're much more into achievement farming than I am. Me, I I had better really will it tell me which they are. Of course it doesn't. That's idiotic. Isn't that interesting? I have we've earned almost the same number of achievements as each other, but you have you have five times more perfect games than I do. True. <laughs> you you have a lower game completion rate than me. Oh yeah, what your what's your game completion rate? Thirty eight percent. That's really something. You've completed thirty eight percent of the games you own. What does that mean, game completion? How do they know? Um, I guess maybe they designate one achievement as the game is over achievement. I've completed 25% of the games I own, which sounds like higher than I would have said. I would have said I've completed like 5% rate. of the games. Oh, I think that means how much of the games you've actually, how, how, you know, you have, of all your games, how far you got into them on average. Let's see. Oh, game completion rate. The average percentage of achievements earned per game. Oh... Oh, okay, we're incorrect. So that's, on average, that's a stupid way to put it. On average, in a game, I will earn 25% of the achievements. That's what that means. On average, I will earn 38%. Yeah, so that's much higher. That's that's actually an interesting metric. Because as arbitrary as it is, because developers can make achievements for anything they want, it's still an interesting statistic. Mm -hmm. So, Adventure Capitalist, the final achievements seemed absolutely insurmountable. And indeed, as I recall... The way that the game was designed initially, like you, it would take hundreds and hundreds of real years to finish the game. But it's a game of exponents, where the higher you get, the more exponentially faster your progress happens. And so, and they they also added a bunch of uh, multipliers and stuff like that, especially recently, but gradually over time. Yeah, and the events would give you in-game currency too. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that's the whole the game is nothing but in-game currency. But I know what you mean. You mean like the. The spending currencies. Yeah. So um, we're we're done as of this week. We we finished it. We got the very last achievement, which means which corresponds to the last of the multipliers that we can buy. So that means that our progress henceforth will be linear instead of exponential or multiplicative. And we're out of achievements. We're out of milestones. Really, there are regular. Um, events that we've talked about before. The next one is when? September 1st? Yes. So that's cool. And those events are a challenge because you have to take everything that you've learned about the systems of the game, um, like which order to invest in things and whether you wait to save up for a big increment or whether or for, for a big milestone or whether you purchase little increments in the meantime. All that knowledge is handy when an event comes around because it increases your chance of success. And we, we probably succeeded in like 90% of those events. <laughs> So we'll keep playing those, I'm sure, but I'm going to miss playing this game for 30 seconds a day. <laughs> it's something I look forward to. It's one of it's one of two Steam games I have on my start menu because I click it so often. I guess i got to take it off. Bye-bye. What a shame. Yeah. Oh, what did you just do? I removed it from favorites for myself. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Yeah. It's a game, and this game had... A final achievement, and then they made an update a year ago or so, where they added more achievements, and the people who are real completionists, they got really pissed off, because they said, oh, I finished this game, now I have to play the game more, I have to play it, I'm forced oh. to play this game. Ooh, ooh. I'd be thrilled if they added more achievements. I wish they would add more achievements, I wish that this was a perpetual game that could never be perfected. But what the heck. 
What the heck? It was a great ride while it lasted. Mm -hmm. All good things must come to an end, I suppose. So, yay, Adventure Capitalist. I'm very happy about that. And now they're pushing uh, their new uh, ad communist or whatever. Yeah, they have a new game that is about to go into open beta, Adventure Communist, um, which is a very similar game. Uh, we were both invited to be uh, alpha testers, beta testers, yeah. closed beta testers. Um, and it's gone through some iterations. They're working on a couple of games, actually, because they're also working on... I don't know if I have an NDA, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's a similar game that's based on the RuneScape uh, universe, which is like a RPG kind of a universe. Mm -hmm. That one I had a lot of fun with, actually. Um, but they reset, they reset it often because it is a beta and they do rebalancing and stuff like that. So it's hard to stay engaged in something where you lose all your progress like that. Very, very true. Yeah, and the same is true for Adventure Communist. That game didn't really click with me when I tried it first. Um, they've added a big tutorial and stuff now. They actually sent an email to all the beta testers asking them to try it again before they open it up for open beta. Um, oh, there it is. So I'll try it this weekend, because it's fun clicking these things. It's fun watching progress bars. Yeah, well, but I'm going to put it back on because I need something... Yeah, why not? Oh, look at that. It's installed. It's like a 50 megabyte game. Um, my main comment to them, though, because you can submit feedback on the game, was that the name Adventure Capitalist, it's like capital A, capital V, Adventure Capitalist. So it's like a play on words of Venture Capitalist. It's pretty obvious just from the name of the game what the objective is. Like, the, the objective of a venture capitalist is to invest money with the goal of, of making more money from those investments. But the name Adventure Communist, there's no such thing as a venture communist. What is the objective of communism? It's not really a video gamey kind of a thing. And in fact, the objective in Adventure Communist is to accumulate stuff. Resources in order to... Uh, you accumulate resources in order to get to uh, help the state. Basically, it's, it's progressive. It progresses so you're a farmer, you create these resources which allows these miners to be fed, which allows them to mine these ores, which can then be transported to the military. And then the military can have its guns and they can defend the nation. And then you can have these doctors and professionals who are able to uh, live because they have this defense system which is being supported by, these, by the uh, mining industry which is fed by the farming. That's interesting. Well, my comment to them anyway was that the title of the game, Adventure Communist, was not self-explanatory. So they're really banking on the success of the first game to market it to people who will play this successor, which kind of limits their audience. So maybe the first game is popular enough that they can restrict themselves in such a fashion and it will still be successful. But if someone just told me the name Adventure Communist, I wouldn't really know what it was about. Whereas Adventure Capitalist, at least you know... You have an idea of what the goal is going to be. Mm -hmm. So, best of luck to them. It's made by a company called Hyper Hippo Productions, is it? Hyper Hippo. Mm -hmm. they're, they make really polished, simple games that are... They're simple to play, but they have a deceptively complex. large amount of complexity and strategy yes, to yes, them. Yes, complex strategy once, you're in t once you pass the first level. Yeah, it's just monumentally difficult to balance a game. Like Adventure Capitalist, you start off with... You click a button and you gain one dollar. And near the end of the game, you're making so much money 
There's like no English or Latin equivalent for this word. There's, there's, I don't even. Stretching into the depths of Latin to describe. Let me, let me load up Adventure Capitalist and I'll tell you how much money I have on my main. Like this is, it's scraping the bottom barrel of a Latin defined word to describe the colossal (laughs) amounts of dollars and uh, quadludes you're earning. Scrape my Latin barrel. (laughs) I have 965 sept dollars. How much is that? How many friggin' places on the... How how many exponentially... I don't know. It's S-E, not S-A. Whatever. Oh, yeah, sept. Sept non-gentillion. Sept non-gentillion. It is... A a unit of quantity equal to... 10 to the power of 294, or a 1 followed by 294 zeros. So you go from earning $1 to earning that incomprehensible number. Hmm. Like, 994 when you, a, zeros. I wonder what that would look like if you actually wrote it out. We should do that. Oh my guess, 294 zeros. I mean, there's an achievement for earning a Google dollars, which is one with 100 zeros. That is a relatively insignificant feat in this game. Yeah, that's like the big way of this game. You're nowhere near finished when you earn that. Yeah. I guess I'll uncover uh, the yappy chicken. Okay, uncover the bird and let's see what happens. Hi, Whatever. <laughs> play it. Play Adventure Capitalist, people. If you haven't already, if you played it for a while ago and you found it too slow, they've added new multipliers and stuff that kind of keep it moving. It's such a good game. I have such high respect for the developers for designing such a peculiar thing. Uh, do play it. You don't have to pay anything if you don't want to, and it's still very enjoyable. It's for mobile, it's for PC. Yeah. It's, it's very good. Alright, uh, we're an hour in. And I guess we should read one of our letters if we're going to keep blithering on. Okay, how about the letter that we choose to read is the only letter that we received. By yeah. one of our letters, you mean our one letter. You want to read it or should I? Um, I'll read it. Can I read it? Okay, this is from Chris Morrow. Hi, Chris. Hi, thanks. Chris. So nice to hear from you again. Yep, thanks for the letter. Thank you. Uh, he writes, Hello, Brian and Bianca. I hope your summer is going well. It's been a hot one, but no complaints here as halfway as it's halfway through. Enjoyed your last podcast about PC personal customizations. I totally forgot about all the stuff with c- the cursor and icons. I remember having a lot of them on Windows 3.1 from Marvel to Simpson characters, which seemed pretty cool for the time of early computers. Also, on Windows 95, I had a lot of notifications using movie sound clips. When I was living in Calgary, my sister-in-law was telling me I should remove them next time I visit back home. My poor mother didn't know how to remove them and was hearing notification prompts with Ace Ventura screaming out, Holy Tesco Tuesday! Or, excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. (laughs) That's great. I got a good laugh when you mentioned... Staying at a hippie camp in Lanark. <laughs> that was a stone's throw away from where I grew up in Perth, and the area that is known for their natural leaf, natural growing leaf substance. <laughs> they even made a song called Lanark County Home Grow into the tune of Tone Locks Funky Cold Medina. Ha! <laughs> what the fuck is that? We should look that up. I know um, that one. I don't. Tone Loke. <laughs> mm, tone Loke, okay. Sure. I stared. I, st- I stared. I st- guess that's supposed to be started watching a TV series I thought you and your listeners would be interested in. It's Netflix original called Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, I've seen that at the top. I haven't started it yet. Everybody seems to love this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's watch it. Oh, we will. I still... 
If I start watching that, I'm never going to get around to watching The West Wing or The Orange is the New Black. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, you know, if my dad's saying, oh, she's telling me how great The West Wing is, and your sister won't shut up about The Orange is the New Black. And now I'm supposed to be, uh, how I should be watching it. Okay. Anyway, so we'll give that a try. It's an 80s childhood nostalgia greatness with an intriguing, intriguing paranormal story. The music and cinematic style is a callback to the greats like Lucas Spielberg and John Carpenter and other shows like Stephen King's It. I love John Carpenter's music. Yeah. He's awesome. My new favorite series. It's my new favorite se- series now. Out of the main character, Mike is Canadian too. You should definitely check it out. Thanks again for your entertaining podcast, Square Waves FM. Beep, beep. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. It was really nice to hear from you. That's a great letter. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the Simpsons icons and stuff. I remember seeing those for Windows 3.1. They were yeah. Windows 3.1. Chances are, back then, you probably were running Windows 3.1 in either 16 colors or maybe in 256 colors, which meant that... Probably in 16 colors, which meant that the yellow for the skin was not quite right. That's my memory of the Bart Simpson... Uh, animated cursors and stuff that you would get for when your your computer was busy. The, the yellow would be weird. Windows 95 too. You did you ever have Windows? You had Windows 98, right? I had Windows 95. 95. Do you remember it? Ha- it came with some alternative uh, animated cursors, right? With Windows, and there oh, was yeah. one that was a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. It was like a big purple dinosaur. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Windows animated cursor dinosaur. Images. Oh, it's a yellow, it's a blue dinosaur. There's a blue one and a yellow one. And it walks. Look how awesome that is. Oh, I remember this. That's terrific. Now I can't remember if it was blue or yellow, because they both look right to me. Maybe they were both mm. correct. Yep. Uh, yeah. Great to hear from you, Chris. That was great. Um, we don't have a topic today, so why don't we just Didn't go ahead... did say at the beginning that this was going to be us blithering? Well, we are always blithering, but today we're aimlessly blithering. Mm-hmm. Um, one nerdy thing that I'll mention is that there is a strong rumor that the Android N Nougat, Narshmallow, as I refuse to stop calling it... <laughs> is Narshmallow and Nougat both make me angry. Good. <laughs> Narsh Nougat <laughs> is coming out on August 22nd. That is the rumor. I am now using uh, the final beta version of it, the technical preview 4 or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. It's been perfectly stable. I'm impressed. I've heard horror stories about the previous technical preview ones not being completely stable, which is understandable because that's what a technical preview is, in essential, essentially. It's for programmers to test the compatibility of their applications, not necessarily for people to use on their main phone, but in the last Google I.O. conference, they, when they said they were going to release this latest final beta, they said that they encouraged people to use it for their daily activities, and they weren't getting around. It's very stable. So I've enjoyed a lot of the new features and stuff on there. We'll talk more about it next week, perhaps, when it comes out, assuming it's out on August 22nd. That's Monday. Let's hope. Um, so with our Android phones, I've talked before about the Nexus Root Toolkit, which is a piece of software that I that I really love using. Sorry about the sounds. I'm just updating it as I am reminded of it. Um, Nexus Root Toolkit is obviously what I use to root our Nexus 6P phones. I also used it to root our... Oh, good. There's a big update. Nice. Ooh. So, um... Yeah, I used it to update our Nexus 5s, and I also... Did I use it on our Galaxy Nexus? I think I did use it on the Galaxy yeah. Nexus. You used it on a couple of... It, on a few generations of our uh, Androids. Yeah. 
So, oh gosh, shut up, you dingling thing. <laughs> so, um, your phone is rooted right now. Ever yes. since I installed this beta version of the OS, I chose not to root it just to see how it goes. And I very quickly got fed up with using a phone that doesn't have an ad blocker. So I did a bunch of research looking for an ad blocker that does not require root access, and that would block ads not only in web browsers, but also in apps. Um, I have no problem paying for apps. I've paid for many, many apps. I love paying for an app so that I don't see ads. Unfortunately, I'm in the minority. Most people will not pay for an app no matter what. They'd much rather sit and watch a video ad than pay a dollar never to see an ad again. That's just become the new norm. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I found something called AdGuard, which... Uh, acts as like a little internal proxy server. You're not able to modify the host's file, which is what ad blockers do if your phone is rooted, because the host's file is in a protected uh, directory that you can't access if uh, you are a regular user. So um, instead of accessing the host's file, this um, acts as a proxy, where you use that as an internal DNS uh, record instead of using the phone's uh, default uh, DNS, which is the Google DNS or your uh, ISP's DNS. So it's working very well. The only problem is a proxy with like a little internal web server is a little bit system intensive. I found that it reduces the battery life of my phone by at least 20% or so, which is not good at all. That's kind of unacceptable, which is too bad because it works very well. Um, and then these Nexus 6P phones have a quite a good battery. Well, a pretty good battery. I think they're like 4,200 milliamps or something like that. I forget what the unit of measure is. Uh, 4,250? I don't know. 4,600 maybe? Um, it's bigger than our, our Nexus 5, that's for sure, which oh, is yeah. 3,000 and something, I think. Those have crappy batteries. Um, so, like, when you're in a pinch, you don't want to be running out of battery. I'm thinking I have to go back and root the phones again. The reason I, I was looking for a solution other than rooting two reasons. Number one is that whenever an update comes out, a security patch or something like that, or a feature patch, you have to install the patch manually. You can't update it over the air like when you're, uh, when it, uh, you get a little notification on your phone and it just says update now and you wait for it and then it's done. I have to use the Nexus Root Toolkit and manually download the patch and sideload it and stuff like that. I have to tell it not to wipe our phones but to maintain our previous data and then I have to reroute it it takes a good 20 minutes or so per phone. So it's a little bit of an ordeal, especially with these Nexus phones. They've started releasing monthly security patches, so that means I have to do this once a month for both of our phones. I don't mind, but I mind a little, I guess. So I tried this other solution, and because the battery consumption is too great, once this next version of the OS is out, I'll root mine again. Um, and although Nexus Root Toolkit does give you an option, to uh, retain your user data from patch to patch. It doesn't recommend doing it for any major patches, like from six point something to seven point something. It only recommends it if you're doing from like 6.11 to 6.12, or from 6.0 to 6.1 in a pinch, right? So um, you're gonna have to format your phone. I might have to format my phone. We'll have to see what we can do about retaining our data. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it goes. So we'll let you know next week if we install our new thingies. Why don't we wrap up our show then just by talking about what we played this week, shall we? We didn't really play anything this week, did we? Well, when I say this week, it's been like three weeks since we since we podcasted last. No, I think maybe this is two weeks. Yeah, because I know we didn't podcast last week. And the week before as well, I think. I don't know. It's been a little while. So I didn't even write down everything we played. But significantly, 
I, um, a while ago I purchased the game Mafia 2, and then I returned it because it had some technical bugs to it. Um, I bought a Humble Bundle recently, which came with it again, so I've been playing it a little bit, and I found a solution for the technical bug, which was related to uh, frame rates faster than 60 per second. So uh, I played it, I capped it at 60 frames per second to get past the problematic area, and uh, that got me past there. It's a pretty good game, it has a pretty good story, it's basically a Grand Theft Auto clone, I guess, with some small exceptions, and it's a period piece that takes place in the 1940s. Um, I'm kind of into it, but I got to this one mission, which is a stealth mission. I hate stealth gameplay, and it's not its not very good stealth gameplay either. I think I'm probably done here. I think I must be like 10% of the way into the game, but that's kind of a deal breaker for me. I don't like putting up with that kind of crap, so that's a real shame. Um, you and I, on vacation, spent at least a few days playing Civilization V. Very true, we did, and we played we'll a couple play games together. Yeah, we played a co-op and solo. Mm -hmm. That is a game where consistently... One of us will say, you feel like playing Civ 5? The other one will be like, okay, it'll be like 6 p.m., we've just had dinner. And we'll be like three quarters of the way into our game, and it's 1.45 a.m., and we have not been aware of the passage of time. Hi, Bernie. Oh, you're so cute. So we had a really good time playing that stuff. The yes. game just doesn't get old, does it? It's no, brilliant. this particular game has aged nicely. I'm not sure how well it's going to age compared to Civ 6, which I am hoping will be out, very, which I know is going to be out before the end of the year, and I'm looking forward to it. What the hell happened? What do you think happened? Oh, lovely. Joey left you a present. Good girl. Um, yeah, so Civ 6 is coming up pretty soon, and... It's, I've loved every Civ game. I've loved every Civ game, but it's very hard to go back. Once a new one is out, I find... Just like Grand Theft Auto, I find it very hard to go back to the previous version because there have been so many little incremental improvements. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, I couldn't go forward with Beyond Earth. I could. I went. I wound up going back to Civ Five when Beyond Earth came out. Yeah, I own that now, too, and I played it for a very short amount of time. I should give it another chance, but that game really flopped. Mm-hmm. Surprising. Sid Meier hasn't had a lot of flops, but this is a real flop. I think it has to do with uh, the, uh, the the length of time it takes for anything to get done, even on a normal pace game. Uh, does it not have options like in Civ, where you can say make a make a uh, condensed game? Yeah, but I'm like, I'm saying that they're condensed and. Uh, Regular pace games were the equivalent of their epic pace games in Civ Five. Mm. It's kind of daunting too because I, I, it's lucky that I played Civilization for like twenty years now because I have a pretty good idea of the many many systems. Even when there's a little change or something, I just have to learn the Delta. I don't have to learn it from the ground up, or I don't have to learn that a system actually exists at all. So playing this one, there's so much to learn. Yeah, it's and kind the of overwhelming. Tree was kind of odd. Like, you couldn't really follow it coherently. Mm hmm Yeah, it's tricky. So that's two that I played. Do you want to mention anything, or should we talk about the other ones that are that we wrote down on our list? Um, I didn't really play anything else. I mean, I played a lot of Civ Five. I think that was pretty much the only thing I played. You played that a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many hours do I have on this? Oh, here we go. This There's another mind-boggling number. 582 hours. That's a lot of Civ, wow. Mm-hmm. But it oh, is a terrific I know what else I played. Age of Empires HD. Oh, yeah. You even got me to play a game of that with you. Yep, because I turned off the AI. 
uh, opponents, and I made it so that it was a wonder race, so you could enjoy it at a better pace, so mm -hmm. you're not stuck having to deal with the combat or anything. Just a way to introduce you to the world in a gent in, in a more gentle manner. Yeah. So you grew up playing Age of Empire. I was just learning it for the first time now, really. Mm -hmm. And um, that's another game with a zillion little systems to learn. It's quite beautiful. The music is amazing. It has a great soundtrack. It's one of those soundtracks where you don't even have to know what game it is to enjoy the soundtrack, just because it's... Yeah, we listened to it when we went on a road trip mm -hmm. a little while ago. I liked it so much. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate that game, but it's another very daunting game to, to get into from the very start. Very, very daunting. But it's mesmerizing watching you play it, because <laughs> you just get such a huge number of units that you control. You have so many automated workers that keep busy doing things, the little locusts that nibble away at forests and stuff. Oh yeah, and as I told Brian, I showed him what it looks like when I'm playing without my cheat codes. But when I get my cheat codes, my locust swarms are even more intense. Mm -hmm. Because I build like two or three town centers, and so I'm concurrently producing this, I have this mass uh, <laughs> assembly line of workers that just keeps going out. Yeah, it's incredible. Alright, what else? Um, I started playing Gabriel Knight again. I really play that game once a year, pretty much without fail. I love that game. Um, I haven't picked it up, I guess, probably maybe since uh, the Phoenix Online Studio, the yeah Phoenix Online Studios released their uh, remake of it. I didn't get very far in that because I didn't like it very much. Much as I want you to play the original Bianca, I think the only way I'll convince you is to play this remake of it, mm -hmm. even though it takes. A very good but flawed game and makes it prettier and has more flaws. I think that's the only way you're going to find it palatable with the reduced number of interaction options. The original uh, Gabriel Knight has a ridiculous number of verb icons. Yeah. Way I, too many. I was like, okay, too many verb icons. Nope, not happening. So I'm, I'm playing the GOG version of it and... I don't know if it's a Windows 10 thing or what. It must be a Windows 10 thing. There's a bug now that I've never seen in this game before where the text for what you're saying appears on screen, but the voiceover doesn't start for like three seconds, which makes the game really slow and it ruins the pacing of the dialogue and stuff. So that's weird. So I should I should try it with another medium. I own the game on floppy and on CD-ROM as well. I have the CD-ROM ripped, so maybe I'll just play it in DOSBox myself. Yeah. Can't you use an emulator for that? Like, like uh, go into one of your previous Windows uh, setups and play it on there? Yes, I can, and perhaps I will. That's a good idea, actually. Maybe I'll do that instead of DOSBox. Um, yeah, because, I mean, if it worked on Windows 7 and Windows 8 with no problem, then why don't you just... Because I know you have your, uh, your VM station. Yeah, that's a good idea. Perhaps I'll do that. Um... The only issue then is that the virtual machines also have like kind of a simplistic virtualized sound card. I don't know how good the sound will be, and that game has nice music, so I'd hate to lose out on that. True, it has nice music, but it also has music made for uh, Windows 95, which... Oh, sure, but there were terrific sound cards around that era, which are emulated very well by other emulators, but not so well by VMware, where the it's not really a gaming... I'm not saying that VMware should emulate it. It should, but it doesn't yet. They've been working on that. I meant your, um, whatever you use to emulate uh, XP and uh, Win 7. VMware. Oh. 
Oh, because I'm looking. Because you're looking at Scum VM. That's why I was asking for clarification. Right, Scum VM is uh, an adventure game uh, emulation application. It works with many Sierra games, not Gabriel Knight, and I'm not sure why that is. There's a te technological reason, I'm sure. Uh, compatibility. Let's see where Gabriel Knight is. Stop pooing on me, you filthy bird. <laughs> Crappy wonder. You little crapper. What a crapper. Uh, let's see here. Game. It's not even on their list. I'm sure they're working on it though. They've been working on Gabriel Knight for years and years and years. There must be something really difficult about it. I think it has some timer puzzles. Because I remember there's one scene where you have to get away from these zombie things, and the best way to get away from them is to turn down. No, to turn up. The speed of the game, which for some reason increases your walk speed, but not the speed of anything else. So it makes it easy to walk away from these guys that are chasing you. Something tells me it's probably something having to do with that. I bet there's some timer-related things throughout the game. That's my guess. Oh well. So yeah, playing some Gabriel Knight. I have to start over again. I'll try it in VMware, as you recommend, though. Okay, why don't we just finish off then by talking about EVE Online. There's a free weekend for EVE Online. This is a game that you have I've, I've subscribed to and unsubscribed to how many times and you well, have I've, how many accounts and you keep I've starting. done so many trials of this game. Everything about this game sounds fascinating. It's a game I'm supposed to love. It's in my DNA to love this game, but it's just so hard. It's so insurmountably difficult to learn. Um, <laughs> I had like five trial accounts or something and I purchased it once and I played it for a month or two months even and I just got stuck. It's just, But it's so breathtaking so rewarding. It is beautiful. It is rewarding, but... Uh. There's a free trial on Steam this weekend. I got Bianca to try it with me. And your reaction was a lot like mine. With a lot of swearing and uh, a lot of tears. And, and who the fuck is shooting at me? And, and why can't I fucking shoot them? Uh-huh. Who the fuck is this asshole? But it's just, once you have clicked your few buttons or something and gotten, gotten everything in motion, it's like watching a ballet. Very true. It's so beautiful, and the music is so good. You know what? The music is so good in that game. I think what I'm going to do for the first time is put in the background of this episode. I'll just play a bunch of EVE Online music in the background <coughs> while we're talking instead of another another song. Oh, and I looked, by the way... I thought you already used a song, an EVE Online song for a previous... I'm pretty sure I've used one EVE Online song at the end of an episode, but I'm going to... The one that's extremely bassy? Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it throughout the background of while we're talking, which I've never done in this podcast before. But other people do in their podcasts on occasion. Um, gorgeous soundtrack, and as with many other games like V V V V V. my song. I got impaled on a bunch of spikes. That's right. I did many many times in a row. So as with games like that that are extremely frustrating, if the soundtrack is really good, it will motivate you to keep trying. This is one of those games. To an extent, because damn, is this a difficult game to get into. Are you, do you think you'll pick it up again over the weekend? We'll see what I feel like, because I don't know. You, I, I decided to take the same thing that you would choose this time. So for the first time, you know, after you've done the really basic tutorial stuff, you can talk to a different career agent. You chose the mining career, which I've never chosen before, so I'm trying it this time. And it's a little slow, but uh, whatever. It's... I think that's the kind of thing where it's probably faster in the first few days of the game than it ever will be. So if I'm going to try mining, now is the time. And it's still very peaceful to watch, and you have to keep half an eye eyeball out for guys that are going to attack you while you're otherwise exposed. 
That's a gorgeous game. Do give it a try if you haven't already, but boy, will you need a lot of patience and attention to detail. That was a game where... That was a game where there's just so much distrust and sabotage and player versus player and trickery and stuff like that between the real players um, that... You know, what I wanted to do was I learned that there are corporations, they're like guilds, they're like, you know, an organizational group of other players. There are uh, corporations that are dedicated to helping newbies. And in order to get into the biggest one, it was called Eve University, as I recall, there's like a three-day waiting period where you have to, like, declare your intentions and they say, okay, come back in, come back tomorrow and we're going to ask you some questions about how you play the game, do some research... And then you'll be able to answer our questions. And here's where you can do the research. It took like a, two hours or something of researching uh, terminology, uh, jet canning and tanking and all of this. St- I don't remember the terminology anymore. But I had to research all of these strategies and stuff and like the rock, paper, scissors uh, gameplay of like investing in your shields or investing in your armor or investing in your dodging and like shooting a laser having a a group of like a fleet of five ships and each like ship number one shoots a a kind of a beam at ship number two and ship number two shoots a kind of beam at ship number three so that you have this like donut of beams that are all supporting (laughs) each other all these really advanced maneuvers that take a lot of coordination between real players fuck it's very confusing that was the minimum of what they required the other what they also required was just to wait for the three days because they want to weed out the people who were impatient. It was just ridiculous. So I, I got through that thing. It took me the three days. And then the people were very nice. And they gave me lots of money and they gave me a new ship. And I started getting very fed up with the whole thing in the end just because it was so monumentally slow. And I kept learning about how you'll work and work and work and work at some objective. And then in a blink of an eye, you'll lose it all. And there's the infamous saying about Eve, don't fly... Don't fly any ship you can't afford to lose. So, it's so rewarding to finally make your first, like, 10 million credits or something, and you can afford an amazing ship, but you shouldn't afford that ship because you can't afford to lose it, because it's all your money. So you have to really wait till you've made 10 times as much money until you can actually fly that ship. I don't mean to talk you out of playing it anymore with me, me Bianca, but uh, play it for the gameplay. Don't play it for this long-term stuff that we'll never see anyway, because... It's just so gorgeous to see in action. The universe is so humongous. There's so much activity. There's so many features. They've improved the UI a little bit every time I play it. Now there's a lot of being able to right-click a piece of information and acting on that instead of reading the information and going through 12 menus to actually do what you need to do. It's like, similar to Elite Dangerous, once you figure out how to do something, it's just so rewarding. So, that's a cool game. I wonder if any of you guys have ever played EVE Online. I'd love to hear some stories. Hmm. Is that the last game we have to talk about this week? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us, as always. We love talking to you. Um, that being said, I don't know if we're slowing down a little bit or what, but um, I don't really feel quite as compelled to record a podcast every single week. Let's just wait till we have something to say, because you know, sometimes we kind of struggle a little bit to have some content. Yeah. Well, so we'll podcast when it's in, when when it's worth your while for us to be podcasting. Or you guys have a suggestion on something you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. Or of course, if you'd like to join us, we've had a couple of requests to uh, join us as guests again, and I think we're going to start doing that again within the month. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, how'd you like to take us on home, gorgeous? I thought I was already home. You know what I fucking mean, you damn nitwit. 
Oh, you hate it when I twist your words around, don't you? Meh. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to reach us on the web, we are squarefm.demodulated.com. If you want to send us your voicemails, emails, or whatever, you can find you can email us at squarefm at demodulated.com. Or if you want to uh, tell us 140 characters why we're a couple of uh, thundering cunts, we are at squarewaves.fm. We're thundering cunts. <laughs> no, they don't have to tell us. Huh? <laughs> anyway. Uh, thanks again, guys. Yeah, Love thanks. you lots. Have and, a good week. Yeah. Or and nine. This, thankfully, this little baby bird was nice and quiet today. Wasn't she a good girl, except for all the crapping? True, but that's inevitable. But yes. She, if yeah, all she does is crap on us, we're very happy. What a sweet little birdie. And Jelly's she, been a good girl. Mm-hmm. And she's learning, how, and she's finally getting better at speaking. Oh, she can say baby bird now. You gonna talk for us, Joey? Nope, she's camera shy. That's fine. Yeah, she's microphone shy. All right, have a good one, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Beep beep beep. Bye. <laughs>